thank you, Brother Mangan. This is a great um, hosted meeting by probably the most consummate host I know, which is the Mangans. And all of us get to come here and enjoy the facilities and the um, planning and the spirit of it. And we thank God for it. <clears throat> if you have your Bible, would you open it with me to the book of Psalms? We want to spend these last few minutes uh, this afternoon productively. We thank God for what Brother Williams just brought to us. And if you <clears throat> listen closely <clears throat> to everything that he said, um, <clears throat> you will have to listen to it several times to get everything that he uh, was just touching on that just keeps opening up deeper and deeper. I want to read our text. I appreciate the help of the staff here that makes it easy on those of you who forgot your Bibles, because I know you'd have brought them if you'd remembered it. Um, in Psalm 107, and beginning at verse 23, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. <clears throat> Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. That's what I want to happen. I want to get to my desired haven. How about you? The object of this message, this next few minutes, is verse 24. <clears throat> this is the object. The object is to see the works of the Lord and to see his wonders, which happen to be in the deep. <clears throat> this is the object of what we're doing here uh, in the next few minutes by the help of God. Uh, I want to take a moment to say I'm happy to see Brother um, Williams and uh, Brother Mangan and these other elders who have meant so much to all of us. Uh, it's, an, it's an honor to have them in our midst, Brother Pugh, Brother Tenney, and all the others uh, that are at this meeting, of course, Brother Urshan. Um, <clears throat> What this scripture reveals that we're going to talk about is the door to tapping one's own potentiality. We are going to talk about sailors taking the trip, which everybody won't. We're going to talk about the sea, which is the constantly shifting liquid place of engagement and confrontation with our own potentiality and fears. We are going to talk about the ship, which is nothing more than your faith and your determination 
which it oftentimes is a pretty small and flimsy vessel. And we are going to believe that, like Jacob when he was at Jabbok, that it is not the question of whether he can cross Jabbok to face Esau. It is a question of whether he can cross over into his own potentiality. And to do so becomes the fight of his life. Now before you're seated, I would also like to tell you what my intent is in this message. Um, actually, thank you for mentioning the Leadership Summit, uh, Brother Mangan, because this is actually um, a lead-in that we do to a Leadership Summit. My intent is to take you today to a door. I am sincere when I say that I am not going to try to get you to walk through that door. That's going to be left up to you. The reason is, is because I have concluded in the past, having made mistakes in helping people by ramming them through the door and watching them destroy themselves, I have concluded that I'm not sure that everyone ought to walk through the door, that it is dangerous to walk through the door. And I will tell you now that if the door I talk about today, if it is a door that you choose to walk through, it will, it will shake your present world so violently that it may never be recoverable. And it will leave you an enigma to many. And so if you value the social acceptance and security of all common people, then probably the door is not for you. Um, the door, when it opens, it opens on a very deep place. A very deep place. Now, in contradistinction to that, I would like to say that I am not sure you can do the will of God without going through the door. In fact, it is my opinion that you can't do the will of God without going through the door. However, I'm not sure you ought to go through the door. I'll just have to leave that up to you. I will tell you that it has been my experience. The only thing I can tell you is that when you step through the door, there will be no floor. And it will be a very long drop to a very deep sea, and it'll be a very scary place to be. However, without that, reaching people, I think, is more an inward journey that we're going to have to take than it is an outward exertion of energy. And so... <clears throat> Let's just pray that God will help us today. Would you pray with me right now? We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We praise your name. You may be seated. Let me also say there is no higher honor than to minister God's word and to have enough of the confidence of brethren uh, to want to hear you speak is not to be taken lightly. It is both uh, humbling and an honor. 
and I want to personally thank the uh, committee of Because of the Times uh, who invited me to speak today. We will do our best not to let you down. We did not prepare a syllabus today. I believe in syllabi, but I didn't prepare one today because there is not time here to do any kind of in-depth treatment of the subject that we are talking about and the dynamics of revival and growth, which I find incredi incredibly exciting. Uh, we do try to do that at the Leadership Summit, which takes four days, and it is a small context setting, uh, usually of less than 50 people, and there's one in Sacramento in July and one in Birmingham, Alabama, which Brother Greg Wilbanks is uh, one of the facilitators in August. So if you're interested, CS will be glad to help you. Uh, these meetings do go to the outer edges of leadership thought. They are intensely interactive, and if you truly want to go there, then you are welcome to come. If you don't want to go there, you probably won't be very comfortable in the setting. And we probably won't be very comfortable because you'll leave and criticize us and say we're losing our minds. So um, uh, it is my understanding that for the last few years, this particular meeting on this particular day has been set aside for discussion of church leadership and growth. And um, the topic that was suggested for me today uh, happens to be the topic of the whole session today, which is leadership and growth from a Pentecostal perspective. Now, I do not know who developed the um, suggested session themes, but I appreciated the insight of whoever it was that realized that leadership and growth does have a Pentecostal perspective, that there is a Pentecostal perspective on leadership and growth. And I would further propose to you today that it is indeed distinctive, that you can get a lot of leadership stuff, and I do, from a lot of places. You cannot get the basic biblical theology of Pentecostal leadership from any other distinctive than apostolic Pentecostals, and we don't have it all yet, but it is in this book. And... Um, I would also like to say that I believe that Pentecost is deeply different from non-Pentecost, more different perhaps than even most of us realize. I don't think we realize how different it is, and uh, oftentimes I think we don't realize that because we use a modified version uh, or have been exposed to, all of us, through books and so forth, of other people's theology and have hardly grasped the depth of our own distinctiveness. I believe Pentecost has an unplumbed dimension. Its potential is absolutely breathtaking. There is nothing else in the world to compare to it. That there is a leadership power so pregnant with potentiality as to far exceed anything that the world has. And uh, like anything that is Pentecostal, a Pentecostal theology of leadership, and let me just digress for a second to say what I mean by theology. I mean when you take everything the Bible has to say about a particular subject, and you put it all together, and you set it on the stove, and you boil it and cook it down and simmer it down to its uh, distilled form, and to see what it's really trying to tell us about a particular subject, then out of that there is formed a belief about that, a theology about that. I believe that we're in the process of forming a Pentecostal theology of leadership, and that it is important, and meetings like this are attempting to uh, assist in doing that. The purpose of this is to see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. 
I would like to say before we get any further into this that there's some preliminary considerations to whether we will see the works of the Lord and experience His wonders in the deep. The very first preliminary consideration is that you have to understand that getting somewhere entails a leaving somewhere. If we are going to get somewhere, we're going to have to leave where we are, our psychological place of familiarity, our spiritual place of where we have stopped without building a road five miles further west. We have to decide and understand that arriving can only happen if there is a leaving. And one cannot arrive if one will not move. One cannot arrive if one will not leave. I would say that, along with what Brother Williams was saying earlier, that for a person to reach any kind of, of bold visions that they want to bring to port, they will have to have a burning passion. You cannot have anything Pentecostal that does not have passion. You can have a denominal theology that is based on intellectualism. You can't have anything Pentecostal that starts with the intellect. Everything Pentecostal starts with the heart, where there is passion and emotion. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love him. That's a passionate thing. You have to have a passion about it. Everybody that says, I'm into the word instead of into all that worship, are people that simply have a denominal construct of what the word is. When you get the word down from a, from a Pentecostal aspect, brother, it all starts with a rejoicing in the heart and a love affair with Jesus Christ. Come on, let's clap our hands and praise Him. Amen. We have to be thankful for victories, but not satisfied. We have to have peace, but not be content. We have to see things and know that they are supposed to be mine and have a, a level of frustration that they're not mine that is high enough to make me act and to make me work and to make me do something to get from where I am to where I want to be. Every time a man compromises with these ideals within him, a little bit of himself dies. Every time a person takes survival over becoming or security over risk-taking, or carnality and talent-burying rules the day. These are things that are going to prevent us, not maybe, I don't know, maybe it won't prevent us from being saved, not maybe prevent us from continuing to have an income as a leader and a minister and all that stuff, but it will prevent us from seeing the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. If that is our goal, if that is what we long after, to see the work of God, to see the hand of God moving in the earth, to see His wonders in the deep, then it will take a lot more. It'll take, it will take being willing to sacrifice your career to experiment with the deep. It will take a near desperation. I am telling you ahead of time that it is a dangerous place to be. There are people that you preach to them this way and they go off the deep end and they mess themselves up. And they lose themselves in the wrong way. And they lose out with what they're supposed to have. And when you say there's some things you're supposed to leave so you can arrive, they leave the wrong things. And, and they keep the wrong things. Uh, and they do it all wrong. It's a dangerous thing to have to move along on the road to progress. But, but if we're going to see the works, 
of the Lord and His wonders in the deep, then you've got to take the leap. You've got to say, I'm going to take the trip. I'm going to leave where I am and make my journey to accomplish this. And if you don't want to go, I understand. I talked several years ago to a very dear friend of mine, district superintendent, who at that time was 55 years old. And uh, I have a lot of district superintendents who are dear friends, so there's no use trying to guess. And um, he said, uh, he taught, we were sitting eating, just he and I, and I was about 30 years old at the time. And he said, Brother Wilson, uh, oh, this man is a, is a tremendous man. But this man said, Brother Wilson, I'm 55 years old and I don't feel like I've ever got on track. Well, I'm not yet 55 years old. When I get there, I don't want to say I feel like I've never got on track. I want to get on track. Whatever it takes to do it. I want to get there. Now, here's the second preliminary consideration you have to look at. There is no trail. This is not a cross-country excursion we're talking about. This is not a march across land. You can't call this a trek. There is no road. There is no land trail. You could, in, 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 if you're going across Louisiana, you could, somebody could blaze the trees so you'd have a trail. There are no trees to blaze. It is a journey in leadership formation, which is a water journey, and water doesn't cut. You, someone passes through it and then it quickly closes up for the next to find their own way. If you emulate an elder as to his, and, uh, his hand actions and all that, you'll emulate his weaknesses instead of his strength. It's not enough to say, I want to be like the apostles. You've got to say, I want what the apostles had. Amen. And yet our text tells us, although it's all of that, there is no way... For us to get there, except that one must go down to the sea and one must do business in great waters, which means you have to leave the familiar ground and you have to leave the safe alternatives. And when all the discussion is done, you've got to push back the chair of familiarity. I know everybody's not going to do this. And you have to make your way down to the sea and you have to say, I'm getting ready to launch out of here into an area that I have never been in. Now, in Pentecost, you have to qualify everything. So the question that some of you are going to wonder about, if you listen to this more than once, and some of you that are a little sharper have already thought of it, does this mean that you're talking about leaving the solid ground of holiness and of standards and of doctrine? Of course I am not. If you're asking that question, you don't know who I am and how I feel. And I understand that. However, I want to tell you that we need... A a repositioning of how we think about our holiness and standards and doctrines and listen very closely before you criticize me. What we need to understand is that in and of themselves, if they are by themselves, these things are not solid ground. You don't need to think of holiness, doctrine, and standards as solid ground. Listen closely before you criticize. We have to understand that doctrine and holiness and standards are stars by which we are navigating the journey. They are lighthouses that keep us from crashing our boat. They're not something that's out there on the land for people who are too afeard to move anywhere. 
They're the things that if you ignore them, you'll destroy yourself. And we've got a host of people that's already done that, that thinks there's a better way. They're examples of the people that's left the wrong things behind and went to the wrong places and they have no stars to navigate by and they have no lighthouses because they said they didn't need them. You're either an ignorant novice or a fool if you ignore the lighthouse and the stars. Oh, let's thank God for direction. The third preliminary and the last preliminary consideration that I've got to tell you about before we go any further is that the voyage is dangerous. Now, when this scripture was written, no airplanes, no automobiles, none of all this. When this was written, sailing was the dangerous business. The sea was thought of as a place of terror with monsters in it. And it was very deep. And it was very unstable. And it was very liquid. It was very dangerous. The writer gives us a sequence of experiences that a person is going to expect if they are going to go to this place to find the emergence of one's potential out of themselves. There is, these are some of the things that we will experience if we get on the sea. One of them is we will experience exhilaration. The writer says in one of the verses, early verses of our text, uh, he says that the waves will mount up to heaven. There's nothing like being on the top of a wave that's mounting up to heaven. In the book, The Perfect Storm, there was a storm and they called it The Perfect Storm because they were able to monitor it with scientific instruments. They said it was such an incredible storm that there were waves that were 100 feet high. And there was a boat out there that could monitor this. Some people lost their lives in this storm. But to be on top of a wave 100 feet high is a whoopee good time where you wave your cowboy hat. Would you have one in a boat? Anyway, you wave your hat and you say, isn't this an incredible time that we're having? Look at the victories we're experiencing. People out of wheelchairs, people getting the Holy Ghost, church growing, new building dedications, wonderful times of glory, the world looking our way, everybody wanting to know what's going on. It's an exhilarating time. The only problem with the wave is that it's made out of water. So the second thing that you have if we want to go there is going to be despair. And our good brother already mentioned that. The Bible says not only that there's waves that mount up to heaven, but I'm quoting, they go down into the depths. They go from the intoxicating highs way up here. If there's a wave that had enough water to move it up 100 feet high, then that means there's 100 feet worth of water scooped out down below somewhere. So it's 100 feet up and 100 feet down. So you're going 200 feet now. It was great to go up 100 feet up, but now you're going to go down 200 feet. It's a long fall, and the boat seems mighty small. It's part, the Bible says, this is the Bible's words, their soul is melted with trouble. There are times that it gets to the point, whose soul, whose soul is melted? Not the landlubber that's eating cookies after church uh, back in the homeland, uh, but the guy that's out there on the sea in the dark with nothing but the stars to guide him and waves a hundred feet high. His soul is melted. Whose soul? The guy that's out there that said, I'm going to find the works of the Lord and I'm going to see His wonders in the deep. Whatever it takes to have that, I'm going to see that. Come on, let's praise Him again. Wow. 
Why is their soul melted? Their soul is melted because the storm has given them broken lines and broken masts and ripped sails and insubordinate mates and rancid food and making mistakes when you're supposed to be invincible in the mind of the people and bills to pay and compromising brethren and wayward children and organizational frustrations uh, and a hundred other things to get you off track. Uh, but if you're going to get there, that's part of the journey. You've got to stay in the boat and keep saying, somehow I'm going to get to the other shore. There's many rounds that are lost in tapping one's potential. Rounds like a boxing match. You're not going to win every round. Anybody that thinks they're going to win every round that they ever had in a fighting career is, is really not very, they don't know nothing about it. There's nobody that much better than everybody else. They're going to lose some rounds. This is how he said it. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, saying, I'm not going to make it. Brother, listen, I don't want to go through all that emotion. You don't have to. Just stay on the land. There are... That's true. It's true. And most people are going to stay on the land. But this is a meeting here that likes to think of itself as being on the outer edge. And, and compared to other meetings, you know, in, in Pentecost, it is on the outer edge. So, bless God, let's get on the outer edge and see how many of us want to go there. I want to tell you, you get out in that area, and, 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 and I don't have time to get into this, but you could get a negative field created around yourself. It's something that you didn't create, but you got into. And when you get caught in that negative field, it's part of the journey. It takes a Herculean um, amount of energy to escape it without being destroyed. You get in a situation where, well, when you've been experimenting with this, where you look like you don't have good sense, and, 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 and it's not quite certain where you should be placed, and, and, and if you should be in an insane asylum, or what the deal is. Uh, uh, what should we do about it? Uh, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to be blunt here because there's, there's no forum. There's no forum if we don't make a forum to talk about these things. Uh, uh, but when we went to Sacramento uh, for five years while I'm building the church, uh, my neighbor who is my good friend, my brother, I love him dearly. We are friends today, but he opposed me building my church where I was building it. For five straight years, I had to meet the district board. Almost got extricated out of the UPC. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's a, it, was, it was a big deal. Finally, I got through all of that. Uh, after I got through that, then there's people questioning your motives and questioning your credibility and questioning your character and questioning everything that you're doing. When you get past that, we finally go out there and start building the building, and we get the building of the superstructure up, 120 by 120. We're running about 50 at the time. It's more than we can handle, and the whole building falls down. It falls down. The city comes out, takes pictures, only full-color picture we've ever had in the Sacramento Bee, a city of about a million and a half people in the area. They put it out there. They put Joshua's wall comes falling down. When I got there, the men, I wasn't there when it fell down, but when I got there, they were so, they were so thunderstruck, they couldn't hardly talk. They said, what do we do, Pastor? I said kill ourselves. <laughs> now I said we're going to change clothes and we're going to come back and we're going to have this slab clean by morning. 
So get ready to work all night. We worked all night, got it all, all pulled off of there, uh, and we put it back up. And then uh, in the middle of the stream of all that happened, they changed the codes, and uh, they said, now you can't put it back up like you had it up before. It's the same structure, but you can't do it anymore. So we fought that a year and a half, had, had thousands of dollars worth of fire-treated lumber that all rotted out there in the rain for a year and a half or two years. Uh, weeds grew up six foot tall. It looked like stone's folly. Everybody who said you're out of the will of God was convinced of it now for sure. I'm talking about the discouragement deal. I'm talking about when you go up high, it's one thing, but when you go low, it's another thing. I'm talking about staying with it when the going gets tough uh, and seeing what's going to happen with everything. In the middle of all of that, while all of that's going on, I'm laying in my bed. One place to find relief, Brother Williams, and get a little rest so I won't be discouraged. Uh, and I have a dream. Probably too many tacos. I'm not saying it's from God. I see, I see a snake that's this big around, uh, 120 feet long, laying next to the church. Uh, he's smiling. You know how dreams are? Smiling snakes and all that business. Uh, and he's smiling, and he's making his way towards me. I'm standing at the corner of the building. I have nothing in my hand but a shovel. He's coming at me uh, in that town. Most of the churches have had revival but never grew much because they wouldn't build. There's a non-building devil, and now he's defeating me. Uh, and here we are. What are we going to do? I, this is the truth. I felt the Spirit say, uh, you know, I would like to tell this really dramatic, that the shovel turned to a Bible and lightning flew out of it and smote him. The shovel didn't turn to nothing. But in the dream, I did feel God say, Take the shovel and don't run away from him. Run and jump in his mouth. And when you jump in, plant the shovel this way. And that snake's going to come down on the shovel, which represents building, one time and drive it through his brain. And I did it. And the, the dream lived happily ever after. The church was up. It's moving on. I'm talking about you got to handle the down times if you want to see the up times. Come on, let's let the Holy Ghost move in this place. That's what we got to have is a move of the Holy Ghost. But this is the next thing. It said, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. Brother, I got that one down. But at some point, the potential emerges into reality. And it says this, He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm. The waves are still. I'm quoting. Then they are glad. So He bring them to their desired haven. That's where we want to get today. So if we get there, it's us. Now I'm talking to sailors here. These are people that go on the sea. This is the days before aircraft, like I mentioned to you. And it was the days in which the existence and prosperity of a nation depended entirely upon whether the sailors did their job in going to other lands and bringing back the goods and the wares that the people needed. Um, England is the best example of this. In England's heyday, um, they were passionate about their sailors. It was the sailors that the most popular songs were written about. Uh, it was the sailors that uh, the most stirring accounts of national struggles was written about. The great stories of England, most of them are around sailors. The most popular heroes were those who won their laurels uh, at sea. These are the people that are the issue. And in the days of the Bible, it was the same way. 
There are things about sailors that you can check yourself against as we quickly uh, run a thumbnail sketch through them. Sailors were daring. They were leaders. They led the way to discovery and prosperity and went to what they considered to be the edge of the world. They were visionaries in that they could not see their goal and they could not follow a road. There were things that sailors had to understand that time does not permit me today to spend a lot of effort on. They had to understand the rhythm of the sea and the alignment of their boat with what was going on in the weather. There's a whole day's study just on rhythm and alignment in the work of God. Sailors were not only uh, skilled in these areas. They were lonely people. If you don't want to go, it's an understandable thing. But the peculiar circumstances of the sailor's life withdrew them from the opportunity to have a multitude of influences that other people had. The sailor could, was not exposed to these things. Uh, there was a whole variety of relationships, mm, time could be spent here, that are a large part of the time absent from the sailor because he is not there with everyone else when they are just kicking back and having a lot of small talk. There are things about the sailor that his world is at once severely limited and at the same time extremely liberated. He has both of those. His ship is his boundary. And yet at the same time, he is away from everything else, sailing free from vision to vision. The pull of the familiar, the habitual haunts and the things that you and I gather a sense of security from and that land dwellers love, uh, the known, the predictable, all of these things are things that he has to say, I am willing to lay them aside to go where others uh, have not gone. And that journey that I'm taking is not outside, but that journey I'm taking is down in a sea inside of me that is untapped uh, that the Bible talks about, as we'll see in just a moment. Sailors were highly skilled. They had to understand how to find direction, charts, tides, stars, ballast, weight distribution, weather, its effects on the vessel. Had a man in our church had a 65-foot sailing yacht. Uh, this is an ocean-going yacht. And he uh, did a lot of reading uh, so that he wouldn't get out there and kill himself. Him and his wife and his boy got on this thing, and they went up and down the coast of California and Mexico and whatever. And uh, he took me out on it one day. And while we were sitting in the bottom of it, eating Snow's clam chowder to make it seem like we were way out somewhere. While we were sitting there, he said, Brother Wilson, I just read about some great seamen. And they said, these greatest of the seamen can lay in the bottom of the boat in their rooms and tell if the ship is off course simply by how the water sounds as it swirls by it on the outside. Others can't do that. But those that have been in a long time, they know the jet streams. They know the ebbs. They know the flows. They know these things about waters. But you can tell how you and I would be out there in the natural, how inept, how helpless we would be in such a situation. That's how it is for people that want to go there, that have no preparation to go there in the Spirit of the Lord. Got to understand that this is a business voyage we're talking about. It said, they that go down to the sea in ships and do business. Everybody said business. 
They do business in great waters. Uh, we're talking here about doing business in great waters. We're not talking here about a pleasure cruise. It's deadly serious. Eternity hangs in the balance. Uh, there's clearly a profit that is expected uh, uh, as we take our wares out and uh, are expected to come back. Ecclesiastes 11 and 1 says that uh, to cast thy bread upon the waters for thou shalt find it after many days. Uh, it's not talking about take your rainbow Langendorf uh, loaves of bread down there and throw them in the ocean and after a while they'll come back like some cartoon strip. It is talking here about your farm has grown grain. Take the grain that you have and instead of selling it on the market where everybody else grows grain, put it in the ship and send it where they don't have any grain. And when they get over there, they're going to pay for that bread. A premium price by giving you rich things that your country doesn't have. It means there's got to be transaction in life. It means there's got to be exchange in life. It means you've got to load it up and send it out and hope it doesn't crash. You've got to go out there and do what others don't do. You've got to defy all of the elements that try to keep you from having these things. I was in the clothing store uh, uh, this week, last Friday, uh, in Rochester's Real Men's Store. Just kidding. Don't get offended. It's a big and tall store. And because I'm tall, I go there. Can't help it if the rest of you don't work out. No, no, okay. While I'm there, the lady behind the counter says, Pastor, how's the church going? And I, I admit, I'm, this is not recommended. This is wrong. I shouldn't have done this. I was in baggy sweatpants. I had on tennis shoes with no socks. I had on a baggy sweatshirt, and I looked pathetic. More pathetic than I do today. Let's put it that way. And, but she knew I was a pastor, and they all knew I was a pastor, and nobody's in there but me, and five attendants, they're all standing there, nothing to do. And so they're talking to me, and I'm talking to them. And they said, Pastor, how's the rock doing? I said, it's rocking. And they said, well, that's what we expected. And one of them said, some of them's been to the church and the drama and so forth. And some of, one of them said, uh, Pastor, you know, one of the things is on Super Bowl Sunday is that people uh, at our church, man, the thing you could, you know, shoot a shotgun through there and not hit anybody, uh, especially the men. None of the men are there. On Super Bowl Sunday, and honest to God, I'm telling you the truth. I didn't know that Super Bowl Sunday was two days away. Um, I'm really up on that stuff. But, um, but I, it, it clicked something in me. I stopped and I said, let me tell you what we did last year on Super Bowl Sunday. I said, on Super Bowl Sunday, we get defiant. On Super Bowl Sunday, we put a big ad in the paper. I said, now the first church of the refrigerator down the street, they put an ad in there that says, come watch the Super Bowl on our 12-foot screens and fellowship with the saints. I said, so we put a big ad right next to theirs. You know, this is getting a little quiet right here right now. Some of you aren't liking this, but it's too late, honey. You're here. You're just going to have to eat it. I said, we put a big ad right next to theirs. It said, Super Church Sunday. And then in big letters, I put 2.59 p.m. because the Super Bowl started at 3 last year. 2.59 p.m. Come to Super Church. And then down at the corner of it, I had a little football, cartoon-looking football. That was deflated, and the cartoon football had tears in its eyes saying, nobody wants me. And I told her, I said, let me tell you something. The church was packed, chairs in the aisles. What are you talking about? I'm talking about you've got to risk, you've got to gamble. You say, Brother Wilson, you're not going to get people that way. Ah, go away. Don't talk to me about it. The people I want, they'll come to church. 
The people I want to win are people that's hungry and willing to take the journey with me. I can tell for some of you that went over like a flock of dogs. You're trying to be in with the trendy crowd. Let me tell you, we're making a new trendy crowd. We've ate of the good things of the world to come. You're partaking of the old things of the world that's already gone by. Come on, you can sit there if you want to. I'm telling you, sports is eating us up. We need a revelation that that's a God of this world. If that's not the world, there isn't any world. Is that just because you were never athletic, Brother Wilson? Don't go there. We have to be risky, risk-taking in business. We have to be aggressive. And I don't have time to go into all this, but the parable of the stewards, he gave one five, one two, one one. The one that was the most conservative, the most buttoned down, the least willing to risk was the one that lost everything. You need to understand, that's an important thing to understand, is the guy that said, I'm going to protect it because I'm afraid it'll get tainted by interacting it with the world. He's the guy that lost everything. He didn't, the guy that, inter, that entertained uh, uh, the business transaction and got the most, got what he had. Well, bless God, that church across town, bless God, I don't like the way they're doing it. Bless God, I'm going to sit right here. We're not going to do anything, but we're going to protect what we got. I want to tell you what's going to happen, brother. You're going to lose what you got. And the guy that's over there that's saying, let's get after it, he's going to get what you got. He may be ethical. He may do everything he can do, but he's going to get it. Because to him that hath shall be given, and to him that stays home on the land shall be taken even that which he hath. thing to do is go knock on his door and say, tell me what you're doing. I'm going to do it too. Of course, that means you'll have to lower your pride a little bit. That'd be a difficult thing for some of us. What are we doing in these great waters? It's only for those who want to see the wonders of the Lord and his works. No more. Let me close by talking about the deep waters, the sea. Deep waters. What is the deep or the great waters that I'm talking about today? The deep is found in more places in Scripture than I can go to, but I just want to give you a few references here. Psalm 92.5. O Lord, you don't have time to turn to these, please. Psalm 92.5. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. You know, now I'm going to say this, it's going to be a little controversial. I know you're shocked at that. But we've got this concept that if anything has any depth, it's going to hurt our spirituality. The way to stay spiritual is stay ignorant. Don't study that Bible too much, you'll lose your spirituality. See what I mean? See what tremendous overwhelming response that evoked? Psalm 42 and 7. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. It's not just sailing on the water. It's ending up in the waters. Psalm 95 and 4. In his hand, in his hand are the deep places. Listen to this. Genesis 49, 25 speaks of blessings of the deep which lieth under. You, 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 you can't just ride the surface of life 
which way is the wind blowing? And that's where I'm going. We have some people that are tremendously talented at reading which way the wind's going so that they can go with it early enough that it looks like they're original. John 5 and 4, launch out into the deep. You've all preached about that, and there's powerful potential in that scripture. John, this I found very interesting. John 8, 31. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. The demons don't want to go to the deep. It is the nature of demons to seek a familiar habitat and never leave it because they're lazy and sloppy. Don't drive us out. We'd rather be in pigs than be driven out. There's a lot of people that's kind of that way. They don't want to be driven out. If I really pressed this, if I really pressed this to the hill today, before I got through, there would be people that would leave here, and you'd never like me again. Some of you don't anyway, but you know what I mean. It would be, it would be a deal where, where, because when we get pushed out of our familiar haunts,
don't want any changes. And the devil say, we don't want any changes. And they're all saying, we don't want any changes. But when Jesus comes on the scene, brother, he don't just change it a little bit. He is going to go all the way through it. You'll notice when they ask him to leave, he left. But where I want to stop and close is in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The earth was without form. Now this lesson that we're on today is the first lesson in about a 30-hour session on spiritual formation. And spiritual formation starts in the first chapter of the Bible. Because here you have an earth in the Scripture, in the Scripture, in the Scripture, in the Scripture. Here you have the earth. Brother, you've got to have faith and miracle power. If you say it enough, it'll happen. The earth was without form. It was there, but it was void. Somebody gets a Holy Ghost, they're there. But they're void. They're empty. They're formless. Somebody can have the Holy Ghost 30 years and still be formless. They're without form and void. Darkness is upon the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And when the Spirit of God moves on the face of the waters, notice it doesn't say God spoke yet. We'll see that in the next verse. Not yet, but we'll see in the next verse. But God doesn't speak to people until they allow the Spirit to move upon them first. The voice of God. Well, just preach to me, preacher, and I'll determine. No. You're, there's some voices of God you'll never hear until you let the Spirit move on you. The Spirit has to move first. And then the Spirit moves, then other things can happen. But I want you to understand that this was water. The deep is defined as unrealized potential. This is not a Wilsonism. This is some of the most uh, thoughtful scholars that have studied these kinds of things. Uh, the deep has a symbolic representation in chapter 1 of Genesis of, of the unrealized potential of a human being. It, it means potential. Potential is reality that is not yet actualized. It's there. It's something. It's not nothing, but it's almost nothing because it's not something until somebody actualizes it. You can think about it, talk about it, dream about it, envision it. But until it's actualized, it will never come to pass. You will come up to that same frustration every day of your life and you'll never see it come to pass. It is, it is, all of that is potential. It's there, it's earth, but it doesn't have form. It's empty and it's dark and it's deep and it's scary. It is potential versing the emergence of potential. And unless it emerges, you can have committee meeting after committee meeting, and brother, you're just wasting your breath. It was a holy and completely 
uncentered realm of being this water was. And a life that is an uncentered. You have to make decisions about what you want to be. Think of the word decision. It comes from the same root as incision. Cision means to cut. When you make a decision, you have to cut off by the nature of making a decision some other thing. Some of us are so interested in keeping all of our options open that we never make a decision of finding the perfect will of God. None of us can do everything. You have to find a place where you finally cut all the rest off and you say, this is me. This is where I'm going. The decision is made. The formless is going to take form and something's going to emerge into reality. Woman in my church, I just met her now the other night, shook her hand. Brother Wilson, I want to do something. I said, Sister so and so, and called her name. I said, You are one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. But if you don't find a focus pretty soon, you're now in your 30s, you're moving on. You're never going to do anything because you see all the options, but you never take the discipline to cut it down and say, Here's what I am. Many brilliant minds can see all the options. To see all the options to show your brilliance may impress people. But brother, there's intellectual derelicts all over this land. You finally have to come down to where you're a doer instead of a hearer. And so, all of the potential is there. What is, what is this meeting today? This potential this, that is in all of us today, this meeting is intended... It won't hit the mark for everybody. If it hits it for two or three, we'll probably be happy. But this, it's intended to be a catalyst for actualization of form and purpose out of unrealized potential. And the first thing that has to happen for that to happen is that God has to move upon your life. God has to make you uncomfortable with where you're at. Yeah, I don't know when it'll happen in your life. You don't know when it'll happen in your life. But there has to be a place where you have opened yourself to God Several years ago, my wife said, honey, I've got to talk to you. We went to the park and sat in the car. I said, what's the deal? She said, I'm 40 years old. She's always been a powerful, spiritual, wonderful wife and all of that. Good pastor's wife. She said, but there is something that's gnawing on my soul. God has dealt with me. She began to weep. And she said, I can't stay like I've been before. She said, I know that it's going to engender criticism. She said, and I'm scared to death of what people will think and what some of your friends will think. But she said, I'm just talking to you. I need you to help me. What am I supposed to do? I knew what it was, thank God. It was the emergence of a powerful potential that since that time has erupted until there is more things happening as a result of the ladies being involved in the work. Boy, I just, I just threw a firecracker on some of it. There's a more powerful things happening than we could possibly imagine. They're under authority and all that business. But I want to tell you, you can't have half your congregation that you say is not worthy to work for God. And then in verse 3, verse 3, I like this, I feel powerful. And God said, the Spirit moves, then God speaks. He speaks what? He speaks to your potential. And when He speaks to your potential, verse 3b, it brings light, enlightenment, vision, 
knowledge of what to do. Brother Wilson, if I just knew what to do. It's like the young man come and sat in my office. I talked to him. He said, tell me something, Brother Wilson. I said, okay. We took about 45 minutes. We went into some stuff that dramatically impacted my life. When we got all through after 45 minutes, he said, do you think, is there a way that you could put that in like little five-second sound bites for me? This really happened. Five-second sound bites. Tell his raised on TV. I said, well, you know what I think we ought to do? He said, what? Let's go drink Cokes. I'm tired of this. That was the end of it. If he thinks that I'm going to spend a lifetime trying to find the mind of God, and he's going to get in five-second sound bites, Propriety tells me not to say what I think. Look at verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. It emerges. Something that is formed emerges. Definition of your personal ministry as having power and impaction that is unique and distinct to yourself finally emerges and you lose that feeling of just being one of a crowd that never has any cutting power that makes people come to God by the droves. I'm not pretending that I know anything. God knows my heart. We'll check it in heaven when we get there. But I want to tell you, and it hadn't been me, it's been evangelists and God. But in the last eight, 18 months ago, our church was running 650. Right now it's running a little bit over a thousand and it's growing faster and faster. I'm not doing, it's not that I'm a genius. It's not anything. I'm not putting on false modesty. I'm just telling you, if we hit that, if we hit that niche, if we break through, if we take that journey, if we get in that water where the potential of our church erupts, it can go, it doesn't have to be forever. It can grow in one, in one week or whatever it is. It can grow 12 feet a day. But we've got to be willing to go out there. We can't be afraid of the board. We can't be afraid of the saints. We can't be afraid of our family. We can't be afraid of the devil. And we cannot be afraid of our own potential. Come on, let's praise Him. Let's let the Holy Ghost move in this place. Verse 11. Stay standing, please. And God said that the earth bring forth grass, herb yielding seed, fruit, fruit. Everybody said fruit. Fruit bearing. Fruit bearing comes after there has been spiritual formation. We want action, action, action. It's okay. But action has a lot of wasted motion until there's formation. Okay, Joseph, you want to be great. You've got visions. But they'll never come true. You may have that spiffy, multicolored sport coat and think you're the, you're the guy. But there'll be blood on that sport coat before you see your visions come true. You're going to get down and dirty before you get them, buddy. You're going to get humiliated before it happens. 
you're going to lose what you think is dignity that's really pride before it takes place. And he had to go to the deep called a well. If you look at the before and after of his life, before he went to the well and after he went to the well, it's so dramatic as to defy description. Moses, you're going to be a great boy, little baby. Only if your folks will put you in the deep. That's a lesson the parents have been taking an hour to teach. Parents that coddle their kids in fear for them to know harsh realities and tough times. Because God's blessed Pentecost with things, and now we don't want our kids to go through what we went through. And so the kids never know what the deep is because they won't put them in a basket and shove them out there. Israel in coming from a womb-like existence in Egypt to get out into a childlike existence in the wilderness first has to go through the deep of the Red Sea. I want to tell you, you can sit and eat your lamb all day long, but until you're willing to pack your bag and leave so you can arrive and go through the deep, you're never going to get there. And it's ironic that the Red Sea and Jordan parallel each other in geography because 40 years later they come to the to the Jordan River and now they're going first from the womb of birth to childlike existence in the wilderness now they're going from childlike existence to parenthood and when they come to the River Jordan they got to cross it and I want to tell you you say well it was smaller than the Red Sea God made sure it was a big deal they'd already failed that test once and so the God, Bible says God brought them back at high tide he's telling us that you got to go through the deep I'm not gonna make it shallow for you I haven't made it shallow for anybody else you're gonna have to launch your boat and when they got there, this is what he told them. No more manna. You have been bottle fed long enough. And there will be no more fire by night. I'm turning out the night light. You're going to get used to the dark. And I'm not going to have a fire for you anymore. You're going to learn to follow the ministry. It's not going to be the supernatural spectacular tricks that's going to do it. You're going to have to learn to follow the man of God and do what you're supposed to do. Or you're not going to get the inheritance now. Get out there and go through the deep. Nobody made it that didn't go through the deep. Jesus, that's what his baptism meant. Into the deep. And there's really two parts to his depth. The baptism and the temptation is the, is the baptism of experience. That's three more eyes. But nobody gets it. It was an identity crisis. If thou be the Son of God, turn the stone. If thou be the Son of God, jump off. If thou be the Son of God. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know what your job is? He had to go through that. That was a filtering time. Excuse me, I'm talking about his humanity here. Don't let's don't get into all the Godhead part of it right now. But it, I personally believe it's humanity. It wasn't just an example. But his humanity had to go through a filtering process to, to discern and discover and know. And when he came out of there, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach. And then there's my baptism and your baptism in water. To us it symbolizes salvation. But what does it really symbolize? It symbolizes to God coming up out of the deep. A changed creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Radically transformed. And I propose to you that what we have to have 
is a radically transformed ministry. But I want to tell you, you can have it. All your friends may not go, but you can have it. God bless. Great God, do it for us. Touch us. We want that, God. We want to go into the deep.